So I've decided to speak on be real because fake is exhausting. Be real, thank you, because fake is exhausting. And uh, honestly, I've been teaching on authenticity for a long time, and I just want to be as, as clear as I can. There are times where I ace this, and there are times where I don't. But my question is for you. Um, are you being real in your relationship with God? Like, there's no one here. If I interviewed you on the way out and everybody wanted to be in on that, uh, and, and, and not one person would say, Rick, my favorite thing is just to be around people who are fraudulent, uh, fakes. I just love hypocrites. That's my favorite. Okay, well, the Lord doesn't like it either. So here's the move. Here, here's, this is important. If you want to grow in your relationship with the Lord, it's your move. And I'm going to show you in Scripture what that move is. And I'm going to show you how it's, it's related to, to being really honest. Like if you're not honest with the Lord about difficult things, then you probably don't enjoy your prayer life. You probably have trouble really worshiping. Because it all starts in that place. And I'm going to, I'm going to try to prove that to you. In, in my office, I, I'm not a health nut. You can look at me and tell I like to eat uh, food that I shouldn't eat. And, uh, but in my office, how many like Reese's peanut butter cups? Man, but they got this kind, man. I got to tell you about it. Because my wife is a health nut. She only eats the proper food, kale and nasty stuff like that. I told her, I said, babe, you're still going to die, all right? But, but you're going to die with a nasty taste in your mouth. But not me, man. I'm going with double meat cheeseburgers, all right? And, uh, and the truth is, I just love chocolate and peanut butter. So I have in my office these Dove chocolate with peanut butter inside of it. And you should run to Kroger right after and get, because these things are like, it's like a meth lab in my office. I keep it in there. And you're addicted. You do one and you're addicted to it forever. But here's what I've learned. I can't eat one because if I do, they usually keep 20 in there and I'll eat all 20. And the only reason why I don't eat 21 is because there's only 20 in there. So I've noticed that if I wait, like if I wait until I get in my truck and then eat it, then I get out of my truck and I go back in and I get another one. But I've noticed if I drive a half mile down the road and then eat it, then I'll turn my truck around and go back and get one. But a mile or more, that's my limit. And then I don't turn around. Okay, so I literally grab one every Sunday after church and I drive a mile down the road right by Walmart and then I eat it. I think about turning around, but I don't. So the question has to be, why don't I just take them out of my office? I'll tell you why. Because I like looking at them. <laughs> They're just awesome. And some of you, you've started to enjoy the new paradigm, sort of like your new relationship with the Lord. I'm not trying to say enjoy it as much as you, you've settled with it. You just kind of like looking at it. And, uh, and that could come in a lot of different ways. And the reason why I understand some of this, because I grew up in a church, like if Seth would have been my pastor, Seth and Kendra would have been uh, my pastor growing up, I would have been so much stronger because I grew up in a mean church. And they were very mean. Like it was like the rules. Like you couldn't even go to the church unless you hated people. And the meanest person there was my Sunday school teacher. And I talked about her all over the world. And uh, she, <laughs> that's funny. She had a finger. She, uh, the, the, I would always sit far away from her because I was intimidated by her. But she could touch me from 30 feet away. <laughs> and she would say, hell is hot. Hell is hot. She talked about hell like she was born and raised in hell. And so one day she said, don't you want to go to heaven? And I said, not if you're going to be there. 
So our relationship wasn't so good. Uh, but here's what I've learned from that whole thing is that a lot of people, they, I really never knew that God wanted me around. Growing up, I never knew he, the Lord wanted me around. My parents went through a divorce when I was in junior high, and I really thought it was because of, because I thought it was my fault, and it might have been. But anything that went wrong, I just thought it was because God is mad at me. I thought he wanted me out. I never knew he wanted me in. And so I want you to be honest about that. Like, that's a great place to start. Like, I double-dog dare you. I learned that phrase in Arkansas. When you get home, if you don't feel like the Lord is close to you, to tell him. Uh, Nehemiah, he literally said this to God. He said, God, look at me. And then he repented. Have you ever had that much confidence just to, to get in front of God and say, Lord, look at me. I'm not doing well. He's never going to be shocked. But the authenticity will draw him. So I'm going to show you that I'm not making this up theologically. In Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 19, it says, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way open for us through the curtain that is his body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, that's Jesus. Look at this. Here it is. Let us draw near to God. But how? Being real. With a sincere heart. That's the move. Man, no matter how hard I try, I can't read the word. I fall asleep. I can't pray. I don't like it. I'm not connecting with the Lord. This is the move. With a sincere heart and full assurance of faith. And having a heart sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience. I'm going to show you later how that's the number one deterrent of faith. Guilt. Shame. Some of you have built a camp around that subject. And having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water, let us hold unswervingly. Now that word, like I'm sure today you haven't used that word yet. Like, hey, unswervingly. I mean, we just don't use it. But it's basically saying we're swerving right now. Like, don't swerve. Then it says, unswervingly, looking for the word, uh, to the hope we profess for he who promises faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. And let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. But let us encourage one another. Where's that? And all the more as we see the day approaching. Okay? So everybody look here. Let me just settle this. The way I like to explain it is that I've raised a lot of kids. We have four kids. I now have five grandkids. And uh, when you raise kids, I always, always say, if you have enough kids, you'll have one like Christ and one like Satan. Maybe you ever noticed that? And uh, uh, Tanner's the one that's most like Christ, and I'm not going to tell you which one was most like Satan uh, because Haley gets upset about that. And uh, but she's, she's like Christ now, but when we were raising her, it was hard. But I noticed that when you raise your kids, there are times where you just tell them something that seems smart, you know, like close the door or don't forget your shoes. But there are other times where you've got to tell them something that if they don't get it, they're going to die. Traffic. Fire. 
in those times, you don't just tell them while they're running across the room. You bring them over to you, and you look at them. I just saw Seth's son earlier in the office, and when they get a little bit even older than that, like when they're around four years of age, you, you say, come here, and you grab them by the face, not to hurt them, but you want them to get what you, so you hold their face. Look at me, and they will not look. You're in a, <laughs> look at me, and they will not look. Look at me. And then finally, they look at you, and you tell them, listen, what I'm about to tell you is you got to get this right. And I want you to envision, if you will, the Lord grabbing you by the face right now. And he's saying, look at me. Don't look away. Look at me. What I'm about to tell you, you need. So it's your move. How do you move? Number one, it's your move to have confidence in your approach to God. I don't know if you know this, but the Bible says in Matthew, Jesus said this. It's pretty cool, uh, but also not cool. Like, I love verses in the Bible, of course, but some of them is like, I don't know if I like it. Because this verse, Jesus said that in the last days, that the love of most believers, it's talking about believers, the love of most in their relationship with me will grow cold. Okay? If you, if you throw in some math into that, like I know we have teachers here, and if you throw a little bit of math into that, that basically means at least 51% or higher because the love of most will grow cold. That is so intimidating to me. Like we're going to get calloused in our relationship with the Lord? Are you telling me that we're going to lose our love for God and maybe not even know it? The church of Ephesus, I love that the Lord showed up and he looked at them. He said, I'm so proud of you guys are working hard. You're building life. You're, you're doing so many powerful things. But let me tell you, the one thing I hold against you, you don't love me like you used to. Go back to your first love. Repent and go back and do what you used to do. Like, I really want you to love me. You're never going to love the Lord with all of your heart if you don't know how much he wants you to love him with all of your heart. That's why the scripture says in Hebrews 12, and I, and I, and I think it's important that the one reason that I've noticed as a pastor, so this is not a survey, this is not born an institute, uh, I might be wrong, but I have noticed that the biggest obstacle right now in the days that we're in for people serving the Lord with this confidence that I'm talking about, is because of shame, condemnation. The way my wife drives a car, she doesn't use a rearview mirror. She's a great driver, but she doesn't use them. So I asked her one time, I said, why don't you use the rearview mirror? She goes, I don't need it. I'm not driving that way, I'm driving that way. Okay, that's not the best driving strategy, right? <laughs> but it's a great kingdom strategy. I think it would be really smart if you live that way. Like Jesus, Paul said, the one thing I do, forgetting what's behind and moving on, Condemnation. Let me just tell you how it works. Satan is in on it. Maybe you don't hear that word much talked about here and there, but, but the Bible does. And I'm going to tell you, when you sin, raise your hand if you ever sin. Look at the wickedness in this church. Okay, we've all sinned. But it's what happens after that. I grew up in that condemning church of judgmentalism. I never really felt like the Lord wanted me around condemnation. Here's what happens. If Thursday of last week you lied to someone or you cheated on a test or, or whatever it is, condemnation shows up on that scene and says, 
You see how you are? You're not real. You're not really a Christian. Your heart is not right. Okay? And then it shows back up during worship. You were singing a song a while ago. And never stop, never stop. But then you remembered, man, I'm just not worthy. I can't even, I'm not even serving God. Who am I? And you just frozen again. That's condemnation. Conviction is from the Holy Spirit. It shows up on the same scene, but I want you to see the difference. Condemnation just shows up to leave you there to rot. Conviction is the Holy Spirit. He has two goals. He's like the anesthesiologist before the surgery. The Bible calls him the spirit of comfort and the spirit of truth. And let me just tell you, this will help you to know that he shows up when you sin and he says, listen, we're going to make that weakness a strength. But you've got to go to the Father and tell him about it. So let's go. This is the reason why a lot of people, their love, it grows cold. (laughs) Romans chapter 8 says there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But let me say something that sounds like heresy. For a second, a lot of people are going to get mad at me and then you're going to like me again. But the Bible says there's no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus, but I see it all the time. There's a lot of it. The Bible says there's none, but I see it all the time. Because it's illegally attached to you, you don't have to live that way. But the reason why Paul was able to say that with confidence in Romans 8 is because of Romans 7. I don't know if you know this, but he wrote Romans 7 before he wrote Romans 8. Y'all dragging with me? Cajun, I told you I keep it simple. In Romans 7, this is what he said. He said, every time I try to do the right thing, it's the wrong thing that tries to get in the way. I want to do what is good, but it's the wrong thing. I keep trying to do the good thing, but I end up doing what I don't want to do. How am I getting rescued from this pattern and this cycle of death? And he goes, oh, yes. I bring it to Jesus. Next chapter. Therefore, there is no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. There's a cycle of I would say of discouragement whenever you don't bring what shames you to the Lord. Jesus said in Hebrews 12, he said, for the joy I went to the cross, for joy. He went through a lot, but for joy. It says, for joy I go to the cross to destroy shame. It was like so much fun for him to go to the cross, not because of the pain of it, Because of the victory that you can have. Amen? Now, I'm going to tell you something else. Um, The one thing that I don't like about being a pastor um, is that it's really hard for me to hear the the Lord's voice. Gosh, it happens every day. I didn't know what to preach on today. I don't usually have a lot of people think I'm a visionary. You know, we've done all these things. Most of the time, I don't know what to do next. And it's because I don't hear the Lord's voice very well. I do hear his voice leading and his prompting, but it takes me forever. And it used to drive me nuts uh, in my family. We were all loud. Cajun people were all loud. But we had this one child, Grace. He, she's a whisper. So we're all loud. And then Grace says, like a mosquito got in the house. And then we stop what we're doing. To hear from Grace, you have to stop what you're doing and get close to her. That's the reason why the Holy Spirit speaks in a small, still voice. And in the Old Testament, his word was not in the thunder or the fire or the earthquake or the wind. It was in the whisper. 
because you have to be in close proximity to hear it. And if you don't get real, you'll never be close enough to hear the leading of the Spirit of God. Amen? We're not done yet. Number two. It's your mood to dream dreams again. Dream dreams. Gosh, I wish I could tell you a few stories about dreams. I don't have the time, but I'll tell you about the Bible. There's this guy in the Bible, his name is Bartimaeus, blind Bartimaeus, which immediately suggests two things. Go and read it in Mark chapter 10. Two things about it. Number one, the brother's name was Bart. And number two, he was blind. Are y'all tracking with me so far? Okay, he heard that Jesus was coming and he's screaming because he had a dream. When's the last time you dreamt a dream for the Lord? So he wanted to see. But this story is so weird to me. Because he's screaming, son of David, have mercy on me. He's basically saying, Jesus, help me, you know. And the crowd around him was telling him to shut up. Go read it. He was you're being too loud. It's like when I'm around Seth. I mean, it's like he's just got dreams, man. And if I were telling him, look, bro, I'm sick of hearing it. He goes, let me just tell you one more time. That's what this guy's like. And so Jesus stopped and went over to him. And this is where it gets weird. I'm so thankful I am a Cajun because a simple-minded thought helps. And he goes over to who? Blind Bartimaeus. Back in those days, you would literally wear different clothing if you were blind, similar to a leper. Everyone knew this brother was blind. Not to mention when you're blind, you know, a lot of times you, you, have, you have paraphernalia to help you move along. So everyone knew it. But Jesus walked up to this guy and said... What do you want me to do for you? I'm sure everybody's like, duh. He wants to be, Jesus is tired. He needs to eat, get him some food. He's sleepy. He's, he doesn't have his A game today. I know they had to be like, how does he not know that this man wants to see? Well, Jesus did know that the man wanted to see. All right? Well, let's simplify it even more. Okay, if he did know then why did he ask? That's a good question. I'm going to tell you why. Because he loves to hear what you're dreaming about. He actually called it faith when he said, I want to see. When is the last time you articulated any kind of a dream to the Lord? If you're a student, if you're an older person, get in the front presence of God. You can tell Joseph in the Old Testament, Joseph was a dreamer. And when he was coming, everybody was elbowing each other going, look, the dreamer's coming. Because you can tell from a long ways off who's dreaming and you can tell who's up close. In your, in your home, there are some people with a dream and some without. And it's really hard to be a business partner with someone who's lost their dream. It's hard to have somebody work for you who's lost their dream. It's hard to have somebody you work for who's lost their dream. Get your dream back. Remember how I was talking earlier about my wife and how she eats kale and nasty food? She's still going to die. And when you get to heaven, it's going to be great. How many want to go to heaven? Let's vote on that, all right? You have to raise your hand in church, even if you're like Presbyterian on that one. How many want to go to heaven, all right? Okay. Listen to me. When you get to heaven and you see how powerful he is, when you see the fire in his eyes, and he's looking over at you like you're, he's glad you were there. That's going to be so cool. But there's one verse that makes no sense to me. I've unpacked this verse in front of many believers. 
It's the verse that says that he's going to wipe away every tear. I love that, but what are we going to be crying about in heaven? So I studied it. I read commentary. I called deans of universities. And they, they, they guess, but no one agrees. So let's conjecture. Maybe the reason why we'll cry, we don't know. But maybe the reason why we'll cry is when we see the enormity of God and we look back to now and we think, why was I so afraid on earth? Why didn't I live my life knowing that he was that huge and that powerful? If I would have known he loved me, look at the way he's looking at me right now. If I would have known that, I wouldn't have lived. I wouldn't have hesitated. When the church would have had vision, I would have showed up early. If there would have been life groups or small groups starting, I would have gotten involved. I wouldn't have hesitated. I would have jumped in. I wouldn't have been so afraid. Do you know how many young people choose a major in college that they hate because the one they're called to do, they're too afraid to do? Do you know how many relationships, people who used to walk with and talk to God with, and then somewhere along the way, something interrupted that, and there are Away. And a phone call could bring them back, but you won't call them because what if it doesn't work out? When you get in the presence of God, you'll look back to now and think, man, why didn't I live on earth like it is in heaven? Maybe that's the reason why Jesus said, when you pray, pray that my will will be done on earth like it is in heaven. Are you dreaming dreams for God? Number three, it's your move to have confidence in your approach to others. I don't want to say much about this because of time, but i got to read this. Hebrews 13, 6 says, So we say with confidence, The Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. And what can man or woman, what can people do to me? You really can't have confidence with others if you don't have confidence to trust Christ. So, so here's, here's one way to look at it. One day there was this rich man, rich young ruler is what we call him, he ran up to Jesus and he goes, I love you. You're amazing. You're doing so many remarkable things. And I think you're great. And Jesus said to him, he said, well, I want you to go and do this one thing. The guy wasn't real because he looked, Jesus looked at a rich young ruler and he said, do you obey my commandments? And the guy lied because he said, yes, I obeyed everyone all of my life. We know that's not true. And no one has. And so Jesus then tries to upgrade the relationship because he's telling Jesus, I want to follow you. And Jesus just went for the juggler, the one place where he was most afraid. He said, okay, if you want to follow me, then go and do this move and let's go. And the Bible says, I hate this part of the word, because, but it's important. The Bible says that he turned around with his face downcast because he knew he couldn't do it. And he walked away depressed. This brother could have had a great relationship with Christ, but he turned it down because of fear. What's keeping you from serving the Lord? And then number four, and this is the one that that I came for. It's your move to be sincere in your approach to God. Let's go back to the verse. Here's the text. Let us draw near to God with a sincere heart. In 2 Corinthians, it actually says, aim to be 
honest and above suspicion in the eyes of God and man. Okay, everybody look here. I'm going to tell you something that I don't really want to tell you, but I'm going to tell you. I have shared this many times, so I should be good with it. But when I got married, I was in Bible school. When we were in Bible school, I'm trying to show you an exaggerated place when you're a fraud, when you're a fake. When I was in Bible school, they taught us, and they still do this at a lot of seminaries around the world now. But especially then, and they would teach pastors that you're the anointed one, and so you can't have any friends. That you can't get too close to people. If you're struggling with something, you just battle it out in prayer. Because the sheep are your sheep, and you're the shepherd, and you just can't get too close to them. So I remember in debate, I would raise my hand in Bible school and say, you know, I'm not gonna, I can't have any friends. And the dean told me one time, he goes, no, ministry is lonely. Just suck it up. You're going to be lonely. That was a great talk, huh? And uh, so I just believed it. Well, I graduated from Bible school and went into ministry the same month. And then I got married that same month too. All right, here's where it gets really real. Michelle and I, had a horrible marriage our first year. And if you knew my wife, you'd be shocked. Like, how messed up would I have to be to not have a good marriage with her? Because she is so smart and kind, and she's a peacemaker. And, uh, but we were arguing all the time. You know how the Scripture says, don't go to bed with anger in your heart? We were staying up for like 10, 12 days at a time. Okay, that's made up, out of context. But, but one day, I was, my pastor came to me and said, I want you to preach to the whole church. I'd never preached to more than a few hundred teenagers. And now I'm going to speak to this large congregation. Our marriage was falling apart. No one in the world knew. We would go to a small group arguing the whole way. But when we walked in, we would just I'd put my arm around her and we'd go into, like this was mask before there was mask. And we would just, and people would come up and go, man, we wish we had a marriage like you with my arm around Michelle. I was thinking, no, you don't. But I would go, yeah, well, maybe if you pray. And uh, it was just, it makes you want to throw up, you know, thinking about it. But I had to go preach for Pastor Larry. I'm in my office studying, and I walked out, and this is embarrassing, but I'm just trying to be real, I'm trying to show you how to move. So I walk out and, to get some water, and Michelle said something to me. And it bothered me. I don't have a bad temper, but I'm, I, can, I can cut with my words. Back in those days, I was not very good at admitting it. And so I said something to her like, Michelle, I'm sick of this. <laughs> and I said, I'm just going to throw it out there, okay? I said, I'm, I regret marrying you. Okay. And then I went to get some water. I went back in my office, and I could hear Michelle crying in the other room. It was like, I did that, but I got to work on a sermon. And so I got on my knees. I said, Lord, something's wrong with me. I am messed up. And the Lord agreed. <laughs> and, uh, and then I said, well, I'm sorry. And he goes, I need you to apologize to her. Well, that was hard. I, I don't, back in those days, I'd never admitted when I was wrong. So I go in and I apologize to her and her lip, I'll never forget it, bottom lip quivering. Oh, man. But she looked at me. I said, Michelle, I'm sorry. I'm working on this. She looked at me. She said, who are you? I need to know who you really are. 
Were you being real when you wrote me poems when we were engaged? Are you being real when you put your arm around me and act like we have a great marriage? Are you being real when you preach and you brag about me from the pulpit? Or are you being real when you tell me to shut up and tell me you regret marrying me in the living room? She said, I'm with you forever, but I need to know who you really are. And I'm just looking at her. And I told her, I said, babe, I don't know. I'm just lonely. And I don't know what to do. So I went back in my office, and this is where it gets weird, okay? But I went back in my office, and I, and I sensed the Lord say, I forgive you, and so does your wife. But when you preach to the church this weekend, I want you to tell them about that conversation you had with your wife in the living room. I said, God, I can't do that. I went to Bible school. They taught us never to be that. Lord, you need to go to Bible school. They'll clear that up in the first semester. That's not how you do it. So I decided not to do it, and then finally halfway through my sermon, I knew that it was what the Lord wanted me to do. I closed my Bible and my notes, and I looked down at Michelle, who was on like, she was sitting like right next to you right there, and I looked at her, and I told everybody what happened. So when I told you, it was 34 years ago. When I told them, it was three days before, and I thought it was over for me, but I didn't care. I'm going to say it this way. It was like the arms of God were, were around me when I was telling them how I told Michelle. It was like I sensed the arms of God around me like, this is my boy. Thank you for giving me something real. I've never seen a day where more people are fake in their relationship with God. I'm not mad at anybody in particular, but I just know that if I'm growing, I'm being real. If you're going to grow, it's your move to be real as well. And then after that, I still didn't have anybody I was talking to. And there was this girl we were counseling. And I spent 100 hours counseling this young teenage girl uh, with my wife. This story is just as bad. And then one time she was with us. And she goes, I'm depressed. We didn't know what depression was then. I've never been depressed, but I've studied it. I understand it now. And so I said to her, I don't really think you're depressed. I think you just want attention. Her name was Alicia, Alish. And Alish got in her car. She goes, well, I thought you were the one person who understood. Tried to chase her down. She jumped in her car. She drove home. She found her dad's pistol, and she killed herself. And so I could talk about all the counseling I had to go through with that, but what I want to emphasize right now is that I totally died on the inside, and no one in the world knew. And that's when I realized I have the ability to fake my relationship with God. And so do you. And I'm just telling you, it's not the right move. It's just not how you grow. So I want you to grow. And it just starts with a sincere heart. Be real. Because fake is exhausting spiritually, emotionally, and every other way. So I challenge you to go home like God has given you a church, okay? And uh, this is a place that's aiming at that. It always has. But it's your move. And I think if we're sincere in our relationship with the Lord, he'll bless us. Can I have an amen today?